Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Award. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. Don't try to come back. I'm not going to. Good. I like being in a state where they believe in science. <laughs> oh my gosh. That sounds awesome. Oh my gosh. Is it weird that when I crossed the, like, Virginia into Maryland border, I instantly felt like I could breathe again? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm only sorry it took you that long. I thought you were going to say the moment I left the Florida border. Oh. And I was like, I'd be like, bye. No, because when I stopped in South Carolina, nobody had a mask on. Oh. Okay, I I see. I was like, I can't be here. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. And I'm actually, I'm ready, mentally ready to go to work now. So I'm, I have a four hour shift tomorrow. Okay. We'll see how that goes. Stay hydrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Say That's no to people. It's my opportunity to learn just how to say no. Mm-hmm. So the time has come. It's about time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, I know. I almost also. Um, okay. Yeah. So like my load is like basically a gallon of milk is about how much I can carry. I went shopping yesterday and I brought and I had more than a gallon of milk with me and I was like, crap. <laughs> so I had to make more than one trip to my car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you have to take it easy on yourself, woman. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Listeners. Can you please DM Kaylee <laughs> and tell her to take it easy on herself? A person that literally had surgery two weeks ago to get a pacemaker. Oh my god! To take it easy. Please remind her so I'm not the only one. And her roommate. I know her roommate is doing it too. That's true. She's like, really? What? No. No. Chill. I'm like, mmm. You can do it one jug of milk at a time. Yes. (laughs) That's what it takes. (laughs) Then so be it. (laughs) Yes. All right, Kaylee. Okay. Let's introduce this episode. Because you know Uh, I can't. Well, so I was just thinking, like, okay, how do we introduce this stupid but important subject? And then I was like, oh, we can go back to girls camp. Because this is what always gets discussed with the young woman. And I don't know about you, but like it's also when the bishop would also be there. For the guys who have not been to uh, scout camp or, and there's no reason why you'd be at girls camp. Um, well, actually, no, he doesn't even get discussed at scout camp. So guys, you don't even know what we're talking about yet, but like you're about to join the fun and problems that some of us may have been scarred and triggered uh, and are now triggered by. Um, so today we are gonna be burning down the false beliefs and incorrect lessons or misguided lessons, let me put it that way, to discuss some core principles um, within the gospel. It's been a while since we talked about smashing the patriarchy, but we're doing a little bit of that today as we discuss an important topic. We are going to be highlighting today's topic of modesty, what it really means, and why we're not all going to be staring at each other's shoulders, judging how long the spaghetti straps are, uh, (laughs) because that's stupid. Um, so we're going to be focusing on what is modesty, why is it our practice, how it can be problematic in the church, um, and the benefits of modesty. So 
Basically, all the things that I needed to burn at the stake. Or the stake center. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, like, and Kaylee can confirm this. When (laughs) I started doing podcast research on Monday for this, Mm. I was like, I literally have no clever introduction. I hate this topic. It's all on you, Kaylee. Oh, my gosh. I'll learn to take care of it. Then that's how you introduce it, Tracy. We're going to burn it down. Like, and that's okay. It's rough. It's rough for a number of reasons, with the main one being that it's always been directed at young women to judge them on how they dress. Yeah. Um, If you're not covered enough, enough, then you're being immodest, which means you're a bad person. Like, that's as clear as it was basically presented into all my church lessons growing up. And I still remember, like, borrowing a friend's bathing suit on a trip thing, and she she had a bikini and so she let me use it. And I and we were really young, like eight years old. And I remember showing it to my mom. And she's like, and I was like, I didn't have one. So she let me wear hers a lot. And then she's like, it's showing a lot of skin, Kaylee. And I remember feeling like slightly scandalous, but also like exhilarated by the opportunity. And I just think of that sometimes because just modestly did not do anything good for my self-esteem. Let me no. put it that way. And it doesn't do that for a lot of people. And not and then even as I got older and started worrying about it less, I was still very much judging everyone who was not modest because that's the way I had been raised and that's what all the lessons were kind of directed at doing. Mm-hmm. And it's taken me a very long time to change that mentality. I agree. It's very problematic the way that modesty is taught in the church specifically because like you said it does pinpoint and push all of the responsibility of dressing modestly onto the girls Mm -hmm. in a lot of my research i read a for the strength of youth pamphlet like an older one yeah talks about all of the different things that you should be avoiding in terms of dressing immodestly and every single one of them was geared towards girls Mm -hmm. and then there was a sentence right after that that said young men should also focus on dressing modestly. And that's yes. all it said. And that's it. Yes. I've seen that time and time again, especially in my research as well. And it's just so aggravating. It's infuriating, honestly. It, it really is because it affects everyone in different ways, but it's not just about dressing. It's not just about the clothing that we wear. Does it play a part? Sure. But we need to talk a lot more about that more often than judging clothing styles and such. Yeah. So let's get into this, shall we? Let's, let's, let's just, yeah. <laughs> okay. We, we can do this. <laughs> so the first bit, what is modesty? According to Gospel Topics on LDS.org, it says, modesty is an attitude of propriety and decency in dress, grooming, language, and behavior. If we are modest, we do not draw undue attention to ourselves. Instead, we seek to glorify God in our body and in our spirit. Very nice. And then it also goes on to say, prophets have always counseled us to dress modestly. This counsel is founded on the truth that the human body is God's sacred creation. We must respect our bodies as a gift from God. Through our dress and appearance, we can show the Lord that we know how precious our bodies are. So that's pretty clear cut. And it's not just about dress, it's also about grooming, language, and behavior, which is the part that I don't feel that gets highlighted often enough. I agree. Um, If we changed the narrative in the church culture and in, like, 
the way we teach the principle of modesty into it being like that doctrinal bit of it is everything to do with your dress, appearance, grooming, behavior, language, everything, instead of just focusing on the peak, which is dress, Mm -hmm. I think it would be a completely different lesson and a completely different Mm -hmm. discussion that we're having, unlike everything (laughs) we've experienced in our youth and young adults phase. Exactly. Well, and then when we think about it uh, regarding the scripture, scripture really talking is just about dressing plainly. When they talk about it as it is being a gospel principle, it's not about, you know, like how long your shorts are. It's about dressing simply so that, you know, you're not bringing undue attention to yourselves, basically. Like in Doctrine and Covenants 42:40, it says, thou shalt not be proud in thy heart. Let all thy garments be plain. Now, it's not saying that we need that we can't dress stylishly, we just because we should dress appropriately for the occasion, but we should not consume ourselves with like brand names or having the latest fashion, etc. Um, it's about less. It's less about how much we're covering, but how we should be dressing so that we're not so distracted because we should be focusing on more things than just the physical. Yeah, which makes sense. It just gets misconstrued in all the lessons, and I don't. That's that's always bugged me. Okay, so. And we'll get more into that because I do have a couple of like general conference-esque resources that go into that part a little bit later on. I really like this thing that I found in, oddly enough, the Friend magazine. It says, making modest choices helps us show respect for our bodies. And I like how it is very simple in that sense, where it Mm -hmm. kind of encompasses dress, appearance, grooming behavior as well it's an all-encompassing statement and then carol f mcconkey continues by saying we exemplify compassion and christ-like love for the individual while we remain loyal to the standards the lord has set and this is in reference to her courage to choose modesty talk from the october 2014 general conference after they state that it isn't our job to criticize or condemn another person's choices when it comes to modesty or immodesty. So remember that. I like that. Well, and then in the new era in the talk um, or the article titled, let's have a modest conversation. It says modesty isn't just about what you wear. It's also about having an attitude of humility and dignity. It's about respect. And I really think that's an important concept for us to focus to be able to focus on, to to better comprehend on how we should be treating others and how we should be treating ourselves. And you know what's interesting is that only in the church do we have the definition of modesty in regards to, like, clothing. Outside of the church as a whole, when you say the word modesty, people yeah. mean, like, you're humble, you're teachable, mm. you aren't proud, you aren't boastful. Like, modesty is a term of, like, a description of a person. It's a quality of mm. a person. It doesn't have anything to do with your appearance or the way that you dress. So mm. I think it's interesting how the church has mildly appropriated that term <laughs> for something else. So it's mm. another thing to think about. Yeah, oh yeah, I, I, I think the term, like, modest is hottest was created within the church. There's no way anyone else would say that shit no. other than Mormons. Not at all. Let's yes. be honest. <laughs> you have a very solid point there, Tracy. <laughs> they don't call us a peculiar people for nothing. Okay. Hey. <laughs> so just to recap, once again, how 
modesty is presented to us in the scriptures. It is presented to have us dress simply, to live simply, how to present ourselves versus how to see others. And then my personal favorite, which is thrown in by Kaylee, but also by (laughs) Jesus. I just, you know, Jesus said it, so. Men need to pluck out their eyes instead of being concerned about what women wear. Which we will share that meme in (laughs) our Instagram post about this episode. I I just wish I'd considered that scripture more when people were telling me, oh, you need to cover up more. And I'd Mm -hmm. be like, no, how about you just plug out your eyes instead? Yeah. Because that's more scripturally appropriate right now. All right. So let's move on to the second bit. Why is modesty a practice? So... Modesty has been strongly encouraged in the church because of doctrine, which we'll explain further, but also because it is a precursor to entering the temple and making sacred covenants. When you go through the temple and receive your endowment, you also receive garments, which traditionally cover your shoulders and come down to your knees. I personally was taught in Young Women that a good way to prepare for the commitment of being endowed is to start dressing modestly. Specifically, they said, so you don't have to change your entire wardrobe when it comes time for you to get your endowments. Which, in a way, I very much appreciated that mentality because when I got older, I think I did start to change my wardrobe more because then I was thinking I could potentially go to the temple at some point soon. Okay. But before then, I wasn't concerned with it. I agree. That's pretty much what what I did as well. Like I was taught, and of course, my parents love to tell me that it's best to dress modestly so that when I do get endowed, it was always a when, not an if. And then I then I'd be ready to to do it, and I wouldn't need to buy all of these new clothes or anything. But honestly, there were points where it was very difficult because, like, long shorts are just very difficult to find. Mm-hmm. and everything um but for me i did have to take I, I did have to get rid of a few things once i was endowed yeah well so, but i think that still happens in yeah. in most situations and i mean i was just glad to be in endowed at that time though so i didn't actually regret it too much yeah like regret getting rid of my clothes i mean yeah same so. i like this quote by president nelson it's from the August 2019 new era he says the Lord needs you to look like sound like act like and dress like a true disciple of Jesus Christ the way we behave and what we choose to wear show we know our divine worth identity and potential as we follow the standards for modesty we can gain confidence in ourselves and in God's plan for us So I like this quote because I feel personally when I am dressed modestly, I have more of a desire to be a better person, if that makes sense. Like to put forth more of an effort to be Christ-like and to be the way that Jesus Christ would have me to be. But I think more than that, I think of my mission president when his catchphrase was always match the message. So he would say, if you are out there preaching the good news of the gospel, you are sharing life-changing information with people. Would you want someone to come up to you who hasn't showered, looks sloppy, is rude, abrasive, that sort of thing? Or would you rather have someone approach you who is clean, looks professional, acts like they care about the message that they're sharing with you? 
which of the two would you prefer? And so I always think about that when I think about modesty, because Mm -hmm. thinking about matching the message and the environment that I'm in is more important to me than being like modest in my dress because someone told me to be modest. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? No, it does. It does. It very much does. And it kind of also matches the idea of, you know, dress for the job that you want kind of mentality. I mean, that's I mean, I know that gets said a lot, like for job interviews and stuff. And it's about, yeah, you need to be dressing the way that you want to be presenting yourself Mm -hmm. on what you're striving for, because then it presents a very clear image of what people should expect from you. And I mean, we shouldn't judge a book by its cover, of course, but it's kind of how society works. And sometimes we do have to kind of play by society's rules because it it makes sense. And when people do see someone who is clean and clothed and everything, then they're going to be like, okay, yeah, this is a kind of person I can be around because they don't smell too much. And I can, I'm not going to get distracted by anything, even though that's our own issues we shouldn't work through. And it just gives them a chance, gives everyone a chance to focus on what's more important, which is the messages that are being shared, the conversations that are being had and feeling the Holy Spirit. Exactly. Yeah. So in the August 2008 Leona magazine, Elder Robert D. Hales wrote about how modesty is a gospel principle. So he said, in fact, modesty is fundamental to being worthy of the spirit. To be modest is to be humble and being humble invites the spirit to be with us. And so I think that's an important note for us to make that we do need to be doing what we can to be a modest people so that we are continuing to be humble and to have the spirit with us. I think that's a perfect quote to drive home the purpose of what modesty actually is, mm-hmm. which would be humility. Like it's not just your dress. It's not just covering your shoulders because yes. you could still cover your shoulders and your knees and be a horrible person. So that's very true. Yeah. All right. So in 2007 or sorry, 2009, Sylvia H. Allred of the General Relief Society presidency gave a talk called Modesty, a Timeless Principle for All. And I'm not going to lie. When I looked up this talk, I immediately got angry because (laughs) I don't want to hear about modesty being a timeless principle. I Mm -hmm. hate it. I was so triggered. But this talk (laughs) is actually really great because she doesn't just emphasize the need to be completely covered and then be Uh critical of others when they're not. So she actually goes in depth about the doctrine behind modesty, or at least the doctrine behind dressing modestly. So I'm going to share that quote with you. She says, The doctrine behind modesty begins with our knowledge that we are children of God created in his image. Our bodies are sacred gifts from Heavenly Father and have specific purposes that he has planned. As grateful recipients, we acknowledge this gift by treating our bodies as he has asked us to. We learn to train, control, and bridle our bodies and their physical uses to become like Heavenly Father. From the beginning, the Lord has asked his children to cover their bodies. After Adam and Eve partook of the forbidden fruit, their eyes were opened and they became aware that they were naked. Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with simple aprons made of fig leaves, but the aprons were not enough, so the Lord made them more modest coats of skin. God had a higher standard then, just as he does now. So I really like how she explained that 
this is a way for us to acknowledge this gift of our bodies that the Lord has given us and that it dates all the way back to Adam and Eve being mm-hmm. in the garden and then when they were cast out of the garden because we do see that in the scriptures she quoted Genesis 3:7 and verse 21 as reference points for that and so i think it was really important to show that further back beginning of time essentially documentation <laughs> about why modestly dressing was important Mm-hmm. And honestly, Adam and Eve probably would not have survived in the lone and dreary world if they had been naked or just wearing an apron of fig leaves. Because, I mean, that's true. Elements, weather. Honestly, yes. Everything. Rather uncomfortable, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yes. And then I think another good point shared, I believe, within the same talk mm-hmm. is uh, the story of Jacob within the Book of Mormon and how he denounced pride and the love of riches. He admonished his people to prevent their prideful hearts from destroying their souls. One of the ways they had showed their excessive pride was in their manner of dress. The idea of being humble and how we dress is further reflected in Doctrine and Covenants 4240, um, which is what I referenced earlier about letting all thy garments be plain. And I think that's just another example of the opposite of what modesty is. Um, not necessarily immodesty to that extent, but uh, the essence of uh, their excessive pride and their outlandish need to outdress one another and use all their riches and so on. Yeah, but I love what she says to further solidify the point. She yeah. says, <laughs> does this mean that we cannot dress stylishly? No, we should dress appropriately for the occasion, but we should not consume ourselves with brand names or with always having the latest fashion. So Mm -hmm. I think just the fact that she said we shouldn't consume ourselves with that focus Mm -hmm. is the most important part. So, yes, we can still wear bright colors. We can still wear whatever we want. We can still be expressive through our fashion choices, but Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be consuming every single ounce of our focus and our financial resources. Agreed. Yes. Like I, it's like the people who need all the newest iPhones all the time and every single Apple product and like are constantly obsessing over things like that. Like that's not, that's where it's going a little bit too far, but like, it's not a problem to have the nice things. Just yeah. don't consume yourself with it because there's more to be doing that. That's not a, that's not an example of being humble, for example, and there's so much more in life that we should be focusing on because immodesty doesn't always just mean showing the flesh. It just means like having pride and being consumed by everything else. I really like what she says also in this talk. Uh-huh. She says, the way we dress for worship shows our reverence for the Lord. The Lord asked Moses to prepare sacred clothing that would be worthy of use in his holy house. It is clear from this commandment that the Lord felt everyday clothing was inappropriate for such a purpose. Do we, like Moses, reflect our feelings of love for Heavenly Father by dressing appropriately for worship? In our own time, we have been reminded that the way you dress is a reflection of what you are on the inside. Your dress and grooming send messages about you to others and influence the way you and others act. When you are well-groomed and modestly dressed, you invite the companionship of the spirit and can exercise a good influence on those around you. I kind of blended two quotes together, but that's okay. I like how she really focuses on the way you're dressing, showing reverence for the Lord and like dressing to match the time and the occasion and everything else around there. How those two things together can help 
be a good influence on you and can help you to invite the spirit more fully rather than like if I showed up to the temple dressed like I am right now, I would not feel good showing up. Mm -hmm. I'm in a t-shirt and like leggings, so (laughs) I would feel like a slob. (laughs) I know the feeling though. Like, and I've, I've been to the temple once or twice, just walking on the grounds and dressed in like normal clothes, like normal everyday clothes, like pants, jeans and such. And it is the weirdest feeling. Yeah. Like I, I will spend extra time there, like just because, you know, I, I feel like I need to be near um, a good presence at the moment or for some other reason. But it's still the strangest feeling. Um, and sometimes and it just makes me wish like I'd put on a dress so that I could be better ready to welcome the spirit. Mm-hmm. Through my research, I saw the question, if I were in front of the savior, would I feel comfortable wearing this? I saw that a lot. And to be totally honest, I do like that question because it puts a lot of things in perspective. Um, It makes you think about whether or not you're showing reverence and appreciation for your body. If you're clean, if you can be fully before the Lord and it reflect your spiritual identity, like your outward appearance matching that. But I also really struggle with this question (laughs) because (laughs) I personally, even though I feel very comfortable going to the temple or to church in like a nice clean dress and like looking fresh that way. I don't know if I would be comfortable in front of the savior in anything other than an Oscar worthy gown with hair and makeup. Like, right? I, feel like I would feel frumpy otherwise. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. I have always thought that I, I know it could like relate to like some insecurity or something. I don't know, but honestly, I don't know. Like if, if I was told that I was going to to meet with the Lord this evening, I don't know what I would wear because if, I feel like he does need to be nice. If I feel like I like I would definitely like groom myself as appropriately as possible, but I'd also be like nothing in here is good enough for him. But I would spend the whole day looking for a new outfit, new shoes, doing my hair, getting my nails done. Like I would do so much. Oh my gosh. Which of course is not the point. The point here is supposed to be that as long as we are modest in our mind and our behavior by being humble, then we're ready. And then it's just like, but I need to look nice for him. (laughs) It's a struggle. (laughs) It's terrible. This is what teaching the lesson of modesty incorrectly has done to our psyches, Kaylee. (laughs) Honestly, yeah. All right. So that whole bit that we've just shared was all, why is the principle of modesty even taught in the church? So that doctrinally is where we are coming from. So now we're going to talk about the flip side, how modesty lessons and emphasis on modesty can be problematic. We've we've always already highlighted a little bit about it, but honestly, yeah. we can't talk enough about how problematic modesty lessons can be. Yeah, I'm just gonna read this quote. Do it for the gospel topics. Yep. All right. Because I on. feel like it's necessary. So, from Gospel Topics on LDS.org, it says, "Central to the command to be modest is an understanding of the sacred power of procreation." the ability to bring children into the world. This power is to be used only between husband and wife. Revealing and sexually suggestive clothing, which includes short shorts and skirts, tight clothing, and shirts that do not cover the stomach, can stimulate desires and actions that violate the Lord's law of chastity. In addition to avoiding clothing that is revealing, 
we should avoid extreme styles in clothing, appearance, and hairstyle. In dress, grooming, and manners, we should always be neat and clean, never sloppy or inappropriately casual. We should not disfigure ourselves with tattoos or body piercings. Women who desire to have their ears pierced should only wear one pair of modest earrings. End quote. <laughs> okay. Problems. Very, very, very problematic. Like we had said earlier, it pushes a lot of the modesty focus on girls and women mm -hmm. and blames them for men's inability to quell their own sexual desires and actions. So specifically, that portion that I shared about revealing in sexually suggestive clothing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How it can all, stimulate, stimulate desires and actions that violate the Lord's law of chastity. First clothing of all, does not cause us to do these things. First of all, if I can control myself around a dude who is barely wearing clothing and not sexually assault him or have illicit thoughts, then dude should be expected to do the same thing. Agreed, which this never gets taught. Like we're just we're taught not to like, you know, not to neck and mm -hmm. pet and everything. But like we're not thought about like what to do with these thoughts that we already have in our mind, mm -hmm. like which which is the root of the thing that we need to be addressing better. But instead, we're just like, well, if you don't wear the clothes, then no one will think about it. And that is not true. Yeah. I also have a big problem with talking about tattoos, piercings, or like extreme hairstyles because like colorful hair or whatever else you want to do. Yes. Because we get a lot of new members in the church that have all three of those things mm -hmm. and telling them you shouldn't be disfiguring your body with tattoos or like you're going to hell because you have tattoos or any of those other things mm -hmm. ostracizes them and makes them feel like they're unworthy of being members which is wholly false and ridiculous. And it also makes it sound like they're never going to be worthy of the baptismal covenants that they have already made by okay. saying like, oh, well, you have tattoos. You've already disfigured yourself. So you're going to be so punished at the end because you have a tattoo. Like, right? stop it. It's it's so ridiculous. And well, and it reminds me, I've got I've had the opportunity to see the tattooed yes. Mormon talk um, a few years ago. I haven't read any of her other stuff, but I do follow her on social media and she will share her core story sometimes about how she became a member in New York, didn't have anyone, decided to move out to Utah upon listening to the Holy Spirit. And she talks about how I think she like brought a Book of Mormon with her while she's going out to eat one day. And she had so many members who were judging her, asking her why she was holding the book when she was clearly not like good enough to be a part of the church or something. And she felt so judged there. And that's so disrespectful. That's very hurtful. And like you said, it's just making people feel like they will never be a part of the church. Anyone can be part of the church. Like just because we beautify ourselves differently i'm not going to use the term disfiguring because that's not true that doesn't mean we can't go to the church that doesn't mean we can't go to the temple no. that has nothing to do with our internal worth ultimately just like just cool it with the tattoo and piercing judgments and the like hair dye judgments you can do whatever you want whenever okay. you want well even <laughs> like even get over it think what, what was it? It was extreme hairstyles. Some people even think that for, like, women with short hair, that's an extreme hairstyle. Yeah. 
like whenever I've cut my hair at a superstore, they're just like, what, why? And I'm like, because I look better with it because I like it more. Yeah. Like I don't have to keep my hair long just to be able to go to the temple. Yep. Stupid. <sighs> yes. Anyways, another problem is that everything gets over-sexualized. Children, mothers, young women, mm-hmm. yeah, everyone in between. It's not okay. Um, in the beginning of this year, I think it was in, yeah, in February, an article came out, I think with the Washington Post, and I think a few other people have addressed it. So for a church that very much preaches how vital motherhood is and how important the family is, BYU was not allowing women to breastfeed their children during the women's conference. They're like, no, you can't do this out in public. You can't be here for this. You will have to leave the building. You'll have to like be at, you can't be here while you're doing that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was so livid. I mean, that first off, that's legal in the entire country, 50 states, women can breastfeed in public. And I've done a little bit of research through the years, just as I was becoming more of a feminist, that breasts have not always been over-sexualized. Like, mm-hmm. With that, like within the public and everything, like breastfeeding mothers have ne- have not always been harassed like they do get now um, when they are feeding their babies because that's what they're used for. That's their sole purpose. And the fact that that gets over sexualized is so inappropriate and so ridiculous. I have seen online someone try to compare it to a dude whipping out his penis in the middle of a street. No. And everyone was like, it's not the same thing because boobs are not sex organs and your penis is not feeding a child. Yeah. (laughs) Huge difference. (laughs) Yeah. Um, In one of my wards, um, this is years ago, the Mm -hmm. primary president used a sunbeam in a sleeveless sundress to be an example of what an immodest dress looks like. Oh my Why God. we need to cover our shoulders and how wearing things like that can be tempting for boys. A sunbeam. She sunbeam. shamed publicly a three-year-old oh for God. being immodest and sexualized her in primary. Okay. That's not okay. For all of you people out there in the world who are demanding that we stop human trafficking. I need you to also be aware that sexualizing children for wearing a sleeveless dress or sexualizing a girl in a classroom because her bra strap is showing or sexualizing anyone under the age of 18 because they are wearing something that shows their shoulders needs to stop and is just as important as stopping child trafficking. You need to stop sexualizing children for the sake of your modesty lessons. And you need to stop sexualizing children in general. Oh my gosh. Why, why is a three-year-old shoulder so distracting to you? Why? That's true. That's really the issue that does need to get addressed instead of, oh, put a jacket on. No, she's three years old. If she doesn't want to wear a jacket, she's not wearing a jacket. And that's her choice. Then you also have a choice not to judge or sexualize her. Can you mm-hmm. not? Honestly. Anyways. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So even when M- Modesty is talking about women, it's usually for the men. Mm-hmm. I was going through the topic of Modesty and similar 
issues and, and concepts and keywords on Twitter. And I found the, the account Young Mormon Feminists. And I liked one of their posts that they said. They, it was in two, um, two tweets. It said, inherent in the discussion of women's bodies and the need for them to be desirable is, a, is the idea that women's bodies do not exist for women. Women's bodies exist for their often not yet existent husbands and for their children, for societies. It is dehumanizing. It is ungodly. Even as I was trying to find quotes and lessons from Mormon's eyes to support my claims, most of the content was related to modesty. It just felt very confirming of this feeling that women's bodies are discussed in terms of male perception and not female experience. Mm -hmm. And that was another point that I have been thinking about a lot lately because when yeah when we are talking about modesty a lot of the time it's all about like okay don't dress in modesty you're gonna like you're gonna have people thinking sexually about you etc cetera, etc cetera, which is putting all the emphasis on men but not about the women women's bodies do not exist for their husbands for their children for society that's not why we exist we exist as daughters of our heavenly father to experience this life and we shouldn't be going through this as well. This could open a whole discussion about birth control and why men like to police women's bodies, but we'll save that for another time, folks. There's a lot we could talk about there. (laughs) So to kind of bring it back to the topic of dressing modestly and how we handle the modesty discussion, the reason why I liked Sylvia Allred's talk so much was for this example at the end of her talk, which literally concluded okay. her talk. So I'm just going to summarize it. But she essentially shares a story about a woman who was interested in learning about the church. Um, Sister Allred invited her to church one week, and the woman came dressed in a sleeveless sundress. It was summer. It was hot. Expected. Whatever. She brings her to church. Everyone loved her. Everyone welcomed her and made her feel comfortable. Over time, she continued to go to church activities, to weekly enrichment, to sacrament meetings, everything in between. And when she would go to those meetings, she would continue to dress in sleeveless shirts and mid-thigh shorts to the more casual meetings or sleeveless sundresses to church. As she grew in her understanding, knowledge, and love of the gospel, her clothing choices began to change. She began wearing shirts that covered her shoulders, dresses that were closer to her knees. It was all because of her understanding of the church, gospel, and culture growing that she felt comfortable enough to adapt and change on her own terms. And I personally believe that that is 100% how it should go. People who are interested in the gospel and learning about it need time to adjust and adapt. There are so many changes that they have to go through in order to be baptized. And understanding church culture is the most difficult change because you're getting a whole new set of vocabulary. You're getting a whole new set of rules of behavior. Like everything is different. And Over time, people will see how other members dress for church or in life, and they will make the change on their own time. You Mm -hmm. just have to let them make that change. I know I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I was told so many times as the Relief Society president that I had to talk to the new converts in our Relief Society about how they were dressing and tell them that they had to dress modestly and tell them how to behave and how to dress and blah, blah, blah. And I would always say no, because 
we're not here to please people. We're here to bring them closer to God. They're showing up every Sunday. You should be happy that they're coming because there are so many other people on our rolls who are not coming because of crap like this. So let them change. Let them learn. In time, they will dress more modestly. They will make the changes as they see fit. Give them that time to do that. Mm-hmm. I think that is so important. And like you referenced, um, like you said, she did it. Uh, the woman in the story did it change on her own terms. And I love that. That is so important because that is one of the core principles that we teach and focus on within the gospel that we have our agency. And we, we're not going to go around telling people how to dress or anything like they need to do that on their own. That's their own choice to make. Yeah. And so while I was also doing my research, I decided to kind of look outside of just the LDS realm um, because we're not the only church that is uh, that has some kind of focus on modesty uh, to a certain extent. I looked into the book Modesty of Fashion Paradox, which is a book written by Hafsa Lodi or Lodi. I'm sorry, I, don't, I didn't figure out how to pronounce her name before this. It's, it's spelled L-O-D-I. Um, but I am looking at the, for it on my library account right now because it sounds like a really good book. And she is a fashion designer, I believe. Um, and she wrote about how she is able to still dress modestly um, with the spiritual choices she's made as a woman of the Islamic faith. Um, So she covers her hair and she dresses modestly and she can still dress fashionably and everything with her spiritual choices. And so I read up on a few articles that had been written about the book. Aurelia Magazine referenced it and they talked about how People have long thought of Muslim women as oppressed and in desperate need of liberating. But what people seem to forget is that most Muslim women make the choice to wear the hijab and dress modestly. So all your liberation discourse, all it's really doing is taking away this choice and effectively silencing these women. Modesty is, of course, not just a central feature in Islam, but for other religions, too. And modesty doesn't even have to be religiously prescribed. Ultimately, though, her book isn't just for those who dress modestly. It's for anyone who is interested in knowing more about the way we dress and present ourselves as perceived and then how this intersects with different factors. Fashion is how we choose to express ourselves to the world. But in that expression is also subjective and open to interpretations. And I just loved reading about that because I think it's a very important thing for us to highlight. And like what we've said so far, when it does come to dress and the clothes that we wear and how we choose our fashion, where you can still include our our modest and our humble values within that, and it's a choice that we're that we all actively make on a day to day basis. We wake up every day, go to our closet, and be like, oh, and decide exactly how you undress and how you want others to perceive us. And it's important that we're not going to others, that we're not going to anyone in our faith or another, and thinking, oh, like, oh, they're they're in trouble kind of thing. They don't want to do this, but it's a choice that we all get to make. Exactly. Let's use that and move into our last topic. Let's talk about what the benefits are about talking about modesty and teaching the lessons of modesty. Exactly. So the simplicity that comes from modesty um, allows us to focus off of ourselves. In the 2009 talk that we've referenced before, Modesty, a Timeless Principle for All, it says, as modesty becomes a virtue that regulates and moderates action in our lives, we too will find an increased sense of self-worth. 
Recall the promises of Doctrine and Covenants 121, verses 45 and 46. Let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. Then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God, and the doctrine of the priesthood shall distill upon thy soul as the dews from heaven. The Holy Ghost shall be thy constant companion and thy scepter and unchanging scepter of righteousness and truth. It's important to note that modesty can be a virtue more than your appearance. Like we've already talked about a lot in this episode, we've discussed how it refers to humility and being willing to listen to the Spirit and open to the Spirit's promptings. And I know last week we talked about Revelation, and I think that having a modest outlook and having a modest demeanor will also help you invite the Spirit and receive more personal revelation. And specifically by using those verses from Doctrine and Covenants 121, it focuses on letting virtue garnish your thoughts more than your appearance and more than your clothing. Mm -hmm. And so I think if we focus more fully on the lesson of behavior and grooming and even language, it will probably make a huge difference if we focus on that when we talk about modesty than if we just talk about wearing appropriate clothing. Agreed. Yeah, there's there's so many other benefits that come from modesty that we can be using in our lives. But if we keep it correlated to the way we dress, we're going to miss out or just not notice the other blessings that are in our lives. Like mm -hmm. we need to be looking at from every perspective possible that we use modesty and see it as a virtue and are able to bring in the goodness that it comes with, that we can have more virtue, that we can have the Holy Ghost as a constant companion. Um, then it continued in Carol, uh, Sister Carol F. McConkie's talk that we've discussed quite a bit about so far. She highlighted three, um, three benefits. She said, modesty in thought, word, appearance, and behavior helps us obtain three empowering and ennobling blessings. One, modesty invites a constant companion of the Holy Ghost, like we said. Then number two, uh, modesty teaches us that a modest appearance and behavior helps protect us from the destructive influences of the world. Modesty can guide and influence our thoughts, behavior, decisions, and character. So when we're always when we when we struggle, we we could have something more to help us along in making our choices and moving on in this world. And then finally, number three, modesty enables to stand as witnesses of God at all times. The Savior taught us to hold up our light that it may shine upon the world. And that's something that we are constantly taught to do so that we can reflect uh, Christ's light as well and to set a really good example for those around us. And I just think that these, that some of these benefits, these blessings are possible for any and everyone to reach as long as we are trying to do our best and seeing what modesty truly is and what it truly means because when we get too caught up and oh my gosh your sleeves are too thin like they're only like an inch not four like we're not focusing on what's really going to get us closer to our heavenly father okay like we have no place to judge first off and secondly we need to think about the mentality that we need to be having we need to have modesty in word, appearance, and behavior. I really like that second point of modesty guiding and influencing our thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and character. I feel like modesty and the whole modesty conversation needs to change to focusing on making your character better 
and Mm -hmm. more open and more Christ-like so that way you can be a better disciple of Jesus Christ. If that's what we focus the modesty lesson on from here on out, it would make a world of good. It really would. I I can only imagine how much more good would come out of there, how much more friendships could come from it, how much closer every ward, every council would be and having a better and more clear understanding of modesty and not just better understanding it, but better applying it to everyone around them. If I'd been taught this better, I think, and I'm not saying like my teachers were terrible people, they were just teaching what they thought made sense to them. And so I don't blame them for like not teaching all these points, but if we'd all been able to do a little bit better, then I think we all could have grown and progressed further than we had. And that's something that I'd like to be able to at least apply in my life now that I do know better and set a better example for others and do better for myself as well so that I can help others come into Christ so that I can help myself do better in coming unto Christ. Exactly. So now that we all are on the same page about <laughs> modesty, uh-huh. let's go forth in the future in like right now and whenever you are called to a calling where you are teaching or you're leading a group of people tell them about the importance of modesty in behavior and as a virtue instead of the way that you dress it could change so much and by better teaching also young women and the young men better um as much as their children then I think that'll give them a much more positive outlook in how they choose to start dressing for themselves without us telling them exactly what to wear. Um, I think that could create a lot of positive change and will help us to to be better people ultimately and be happier. Yeah, hopefully the next generation will be less triggered than ours is. So here's hoping. Fingers crossed, you guys. All right. So thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate you and letting us go on this trigger-filled journey into modesty. So if you guys have any other thoughts, we'd love to hear them from you. We're always looking forward to hearing from you guys. If you guys want to reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, or through our email. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys. Yeah. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.